Well, while everybody's still standing, can we celebrate our pastor for releasing his bro? Oh, y'all can do better than that. Can we act like this man of God means so much to us? We love you. We love you. You may be seated. Now, they said this was a release party. Now, I know some of y'all ain't been saved all your life. And so when we come to have a party, there's excitement, there's jubilation, there's, there's some shouting, some screaming. Which section is gonna have a party tonight? Which section? Uh oh, okay. Now, now why are we celebrating? I, I think there's a few reasons we're celebrating and the fact that you would call me to celebrate because you know I like to turn up. Um, the fact that we're celebrating is because God gave Pastor Paul a message. Now, let me just be clear. God gives a lot of people messages. Many times people don't see that message through to the place where it can bless other people. And the fact that Pastor Paul, you're sitting here, but your words are going all over the world. We want to celebrate your obedience to be able to write mind games. So tonight, you're gonna get the uncut, behind the scenes, nitty gritty, the stuff that he's not gonna say on Sunday. We didn't prepare. I got questions, he don't know what I'ma ask. Tonight is gonna be powerful because you're gonna get to hear from not just his head, but you're gonna get to hear from his heart. And I want you to know that there are gonna be so many gems dropped in this conversation. So it's like, well, I wanted to hear him preach the word. He's going to be preaching as soon as he starts talking. And it may be the very thing that you need to stop getting caught up in the mind games that you have. How many people know they have a purpose, but sometimes they get stuck in their head? This book, this message is to help all of us. So Pastor Paul, why mind games? Why not? I mean, you could write a lot of books. You could write books on succession because you've had to successfully transition the church from one generation to another and still include all generations. You could have written a book on having 50 kids because you got 50 kids. Why mind games? Well, first of all, thank you for saying yes tonight. How many of y'all are glad to have Mike Todd with us tonight? I love Pastor We're Mike. We're brothers. Like, this is easy. And secondly, right as we sat down, I kid you not, my iPad was working. I sat down. I cracked my screen. It so, seems like the Lord wants you damaged, to share. but not destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if it's still, I don't know if it still turns on. Let me see. Come on, Jesus. Come on. Damaged but not destroyed. Devil's playing mind games with me up here. <laughs> but I did just spider crack the screen. I, I wrote the book honestly because the story began for me um, when my dad passed away. The mind games really picked up. Honestly, before he passed, when he was in the hospital and he was sick and he was battling cancer, and we didn't know this, but he had been secretly battling cancer for a year before before I found out. And it sent me spiraling because I was like, what? Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't we know? And he, you know, he, he didn't want anyone um, worrying about him or adding 
any sense of doubt because he believed he was going to be healed. And so in that discovery, I went through this painful process of believing he was going to get healed. And when he didn't get healed um, and he passed away, the, the spiral of discouragement, even though there was peace that night that we, you know, were standing in the hospital room, MD Anderson, Houston, Texas, and we, we literally um, watched my father pass away. My hero, my dad, 57 years old, our church went through a very tough season losing their visionary, their leader, their pastor. Um, and for many people, he was a friend. He wasn't just a pastor. He was a friend. Yeah. And so people started leaving because they missed him. And I was like, I can't leave because I'm here and I've got to help my mom, who was my hero. She couldn't make it tonight. Um, but shout out to my mom, Pastor Sharon Doherty, her and my dad, heroes to me. But she was grieving the loss of her husband. We're grieving the loss of our dad, our pastor. And walking through that painful trial, I went into a season where I didn't know if the future was going to get better. And my mind started believing best days are behind me. Um, God's finished with us. Uh, things are never going to turn around. Finances were going down. We were having to lay off people left and right. And then people were saying, you probably need to shut the school down because the church can't underwrite the school anymore. You're going to have to shut the camp down. The church can't pay for the camp. Dream Center, we can't afford to pay employees to serve at the Dream Center. Um, and all of these entities that maybe some of you are new to, you're going, what's the school? What's the Dream Center? Uh, when my dad started Victory, he started this huge vision, this yeah. huge ministry of a church, a school, kindergarten through 12th grade, a Bible college, a dream center, a camp. And I had this fear as the financial and the morale was going down, my mind games were telling me, I'm going to ruin my dad's legacy. It's going to be so bad. It's only going to get worse. And the best days are behind me. And it was like the enemy was convincing me of fear-filled, negative-filled thoughts. And I had to renew my mind. Um, one thing that is in common with our churches, victory and transformation, is that victory starts in the mind, yeah. transformation starts in the mind. Yeah. That Romans 12 verse 2 yes, says, we, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Yes, sir. So I had to go into those mind games and begin winning, but I couldn't win until I discovered I had a key to win. Okay, so before we go to the key, I need us to back up just yes. real quick because... Many of us don't know how to deal with when we're believing in faith, it doesn't happen. Yeah. You just told us as a pastor, there was something you were believing God for. And if anybody's prayer should get through, it should be the pastors. Yeah. Yeah. But what happens mm. when your prayer doesn't get through, when what you desired didn't happen, where your will was not God's will in that situation, you're saying that in that moment, we actually have to take control of our thought life. Yeah. Or we get suggested lies of the enemy. We, we settle for a, um, we settle for a Christ, uh, really a Christianity without truly believing the full gospel. Mm. It's, not, it's not full Christianity if I'm believing, man, God's done with me and Miracles don't happen anymore, and he can't heal, and he can't redeem and restore. That's, that's like God designed us to believe in his promises and see those promises fulfilled, but he also designed us to persevere through trials and to, to recognize that life and trouble, all of it comes at us, whether you're, right, the rain falls on the just, just and the unjust. unjust. Yeah. 
And faith begins where understanding ends. Come on, dog. I used to feel like faith was only good, like faith was real as long as everything was good. But when, when the spit hits the fan. Come on, man. <laughs> when, when things don't go the way you thought they were yeah. going to go and people leave and people die and people that you prayed for don't get healed, that's where real faith begins. I would say it like this. It's not real faith until there's a failure. Yeah. And you have, to, you have to trust in God and not lose your belief that he's still able to do what you didn't see him do for your dad. Oh. Like I had to, it took me a, a while to pray for people to get healed of cancer because I didn't want to go back in the hospital. And this is a mind game. So the book is not just about mental and emotional health, getting healed of depression or trauma or anxiety. It's also getting healed of belief systems. Come on where we stop believing for the supernatural, where we stop stretching our faith to go, man, God, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived what God has in store for victory today. Not victory in the 80s or the 90s, not transformation in 2018, but transformation in 2024. That the best days for your family, for your church, for our church, for my family are not behind us. And so I wrote the book, honestly, for people who need to get encouraged to live with faith that victory is possible, but it, it, the battle's between the ears. Yeah. If we don't win in here, we won't win out there. So, so one of the things that I, I loved about this is what Pastor Paul just said, he made clear in the dedication of this book. He dedicated the book to his beautiful wife and his family and his, and his let's give it up Come for on, Pastor Ashley. Ashley. Hope, we love you. I mean, he loves you, for real loves you. Five kids, you y'all, yeah. But then at the, at the end of this, it says, lastly, I dedicate this book to you. Yeah. And that would be to anybody that's actually reading this book. How many people have gotten the Mind Games book? Oh, come on. That is beautiful. If you have not gotten it yet, you need to get it. And this is what I'm going to tell you because I've started reading this book. Don't just get it. Read it. Because some of y'all got the book to be like, Pastor Paul, that's my guy. Pastor, got it. <laughs> Many times I've found that the answer that you've been praying to God for is sitting in something you have not actually dove into. Yeah. Every answer you need is found in the Word of God. And the thing I love about this book is that it's the Word of God put with stories and authenticity. Mm. Pastor Paul, you Bro, tell... you can just call me Paul. Okay, I just... You know what I'm saying? I don't know if we can be how we Dude. are actually... First off, Mike and I sit in each other's cars at least once a month after we drop our kids off. Late, which usually. Dropping your kids off for Late, school, usually. for any dads out there, it, it, it is a, you it's, know, Ashley talked about what she does with the kids. Yeah. But we got stuff that we do with our kids yeah. too. Yeah, and know? I just want to confess to all Victory staff, I'm sorry that my kids is late because it be my fault. All right. Hey, <laughs> me too. We literally had a conversation about this this morning, me and yes. Ashley. Um, but we'll sit in each other's car. And we'll honestly process Sunday. We'll process how was your sermon? How was your service? How are you doing? How's your family? And Mike and I do this. We've done this for years. Years. Yeah. Um, but what was the question you just asked? You, me? You're being authentic. And then I said, Pastor Paul. And then you got a little attitude yeah, and was Paul. like, call me Paul. And then we were just trying to let them know that we had an authentic relationship. <laughs> Mike says the funniest stuff to me and Ashley behind the scenes. He probably says funny stuff to everyone. 
But um, I just wanted people to know, like, because if you read this book, Pastor Paul is known for being authentic and actually, like, on the platform. He says stuff that nobody would actually say. And he tells on himself. And that's why we love him. Like, who else you know riding a bike around a moped, around the, the, the sanctuary? Like, and, and to me, it makes you endearing because all of us are real people. Mm. You're Paul before you're a pastor. Yeah. And it allows us to see it. In this book, you start telling stories that are authentic. Mm. And, and you tell one story that jacks me up about a key. Yeah. And I think that everybody needs to understand how important this moment of the key was to actually starting to break down some of the mind games that were yeah. going on. Because you told us everything in the church was going down. Yeah. But there's this little silver lining through the whole thing. Tell us about that. Something shifted. Something clicked. And before my dad passed away, he had given me a key. And when I was a uh, student at Oral Roberts University, I was a janitor there for three years. And when I was a janitor, they gave me 30 keys. And I would wear those keys like, I was like, look at me. I got, I got tons of keys around here. Like I was kind he of was that, just jingling and yeah, jangling like, all yeah, up the street. I got access. And um, when I came to work here, I didn't have 30 keys. I had one key. And I was like, Dad, why can't I have more keys? I had more keys as a janitor, but I'm your own flesh and blood. You won't give me more keys. He was like, Paul, you only need the key I give you. And he's like, why do you need more keys? And I was like, well, I want access. I want people to know you trust me. And he was like, oh, I'm still, still figuring this out with you, Paul. You know, you're, you're just first year on staff. And when you're a pastor's kid, you're free labor your whole life. Like my kids are working at the church at age eight right now. They're just serving, you know, you know we, that's what we do. You grew up as a minister's kid. And so for the first time when I was 23, I was like full-time on staff working in the ministry and had that key. And then that same next year, within 12 months, he gets sick, passes away. Many nights I felt uh, locked out of this building. I would call a janitor, security guard to come up here to pray, to read my Bible. Honestly, I felt closer to my dad after he passed in this building still to this day than I do going to the gravestone. People are like, have you gone and visited the gravestone? I'm like, yes, but... I don't feel any of his presence there. I feel it when I'm in this room, when I'm walking the halls of Victor Christian School, when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm at Camp Victory. And so I would come up here just to cry and be like, Dad, I wish you were here. Things would be better if you were alive. Like things would, things would finances would be in a better place. Wouldn't have to let go of people. And friends were leaving. And I was like, man, I just wish, I wish for the days where there were less problems. I wish for the days where there were less circumstances, financially, emotionally, mentally, all of it, relationally. And so I felt locked out of the building because I was, I didn't have the keys to get in. And the janitors and security guards were like, why didn't he give you more keys? I was like, exactly. And they're like, is your mom gonna give you more keys? I was like, tell her to, <laughs> you know? And she was going through her own, like, but she had more faith than me. She was such a, a perseverer of faith during that time. And I didn't have that same persevering faith during that time I was more negative on the inside I was trying but mentally I was losing the battle and I was here by the way depression can mask itself in church very easily Yikes. like Robin Williams was the funniest actor until he took his life and you go through the list of Kate Spade Anthony Bourdain Whitney Houston there's people who are very successful can be in church on Sunday 
but on Monday be overdosing because of pain that they don't know how to get rid of. So you can, you can mask it, you can smile on stage, you can preach, in, but you can still be secretly battling deep mind games, anxiety, fear, worry, panic, shame, depression. And I was, I was still part of the church. I loved God. I loved people. But mentally, I was losing a battle. And one night, it had been a couple years since dad had passed. And one night, I came up here and I couldn't get in. So I felt locked out physically, but I felt locked out spiritually, mentally, emotionally. I was like, I can't get into joy. I can't get into peace. I can't get into being a visionary leader. I can't fill my dad's shoes. And this one night, I'm trying to get in. Janitor said, hey, I'm locking up doors on the other side of the town. And it's going to be a while before I come back to the main campus. You'll have to wait. So I start trying to break into our church. And I pound and my fist hits the glass. And I'm hurting my hand. That's vandalism. Yes. I'm trying to break into my own parents' church. Can't get in. Then I take my credit card out. I try to shimmy my credit card between the cracks of the doors. I break my credit card. Just like I broke my iPad, and I was like, man, I'm just broken. Like, I'm messed up. This isn't working. Nothing I'm trying. I'm too weak. I'm unqualified. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to go through my keys. I'm just going to shove one of these keys. I have a car key. I got a house key. I got my parents' house key. And then I got this office key, and I'm going to shove this office key after I tried all the other keys. And I thought, I'm going to yank that door open. After I went through all the other keys that didn't work, I got to that office key and I stuck it and it fit perfectly. And that messed with me. I was like, what? I literally, before I turned it, I was like, what's going on here? And then I turned the key and it unlocks the outside of our main campus building. And I remember looking up, I was like, did God just morph my key? Did he just, did heaven just transform my key? And then I went across the hallway and I was like, Wonder if this key works here. Stuck it in the choir room, it unlocks the choir room. Then I was like, nobody has a key to the drum closet. I'm gonna go to the drum closet. It unlocked the drum closet and I was like, and then I came to this door and this room scares me. Mike asked me right before we got on stage, how much does this room seat when every seat is filled? And I was like, a lot, thousands and thousands and thousands. And this room intimidated me scared me after my dad passed. I just thought things are never going to get better. And um, I stood outside that door right there. And I looked at my key. I said, God, if this key works on that door, everything's going to change in my life. And I stuck the key in, I turned it and it unlocked the door and I just wept. And I came and I sat right here on this stage where we're sitting right here. And I looked at the empty room and I preached my first bold, confident sermon to an empty room But I took that key and I stuck it in my Bible and I said, I've had the master key this whole time. And then I looked up at heaven as if my dad was looking down from like a window. You know, the Bible says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So it's like I could see him looking down. I was like, dad, this whole time. And I could see him laughing like, duh, son, you've had it the whole time. It's been sitting in your pocket. You didn't know what you had. And I remember just weeping. And I was like, Dad, why didn't you tell me you gave me the master key? Like, this would have saved me so many times that I was waiting to get in. But I think he wanted me to discover it for myself. And I I do think I had to go through a lot of the mind games to get to that place to go, I have the master key to victory. 
physically, but I also have the master key to victory spiritually. I have the master key to unlock every door that Billy Graham has walked into, that Billy Joe has walked into, and not just me, but every believer. Christ in me is the master key. Every Christian has been given a master key to victory. And this whole idea of, well, Mike Todd's the only one that's got the key to victory. No, he's not. Oh, Paul Doherty's the only one that's got the key to victory. No, I'm not. There's certain preachers out there, certain people, and I was convinced that God had given the master key to some people, but not others. But that night, something clicked. And that's why, that's why I wrote this book, because I, that night, I began to start walking out of the room of depression, and I, I unlocked the door. I realized I don't have to stay in these mind games of defeat and comparison and insecurity, insecurity, inadequacy, hopelessness. That's when I started writing the victory confession on a napkin with tears down my eyes. I was like, all right, our best days are right in front of us. And now God has been so faithful. We've continued to reach people every single week. Uh, God has restored a lot of the things that I thought were gonna go down. The school is thriving, the camp is thriving, the Dream Center's having their greatest banner year ever, the, the college is doing incredible, the church is doing great, but I think so many people give up, and if they don't give up and throw in the towel completely on life, they give up on their dreams, they give up. I wrote, I wrote the idea of this book 12 years ago, and I watched as you released books and other friends released books, and I remember thinking, God, Am I ever going to release a book? And again, it's the mind game. The mind game of, for someone in the room, am I ever going to see this dream fulfilled? Will I ever get married? Will I ever have children? Will I ever break free of this addiction? Will I ever see things turn around in my marriage? Will I, will I ever see my kids get right with God? And the mind games of discouragement, defeat, that's really all throughout the book is renewing our minds to believe that there are greater things that God wants us to step into and that victory does. It starts in the mind. Can we give God praise for that right there? That is huge, bro. I, I, I want everybody to just think about this not being Pastor Paul's story anymore. What keys are you holding yeah. that you have stopped even trying to unlock doors? Where, where are the things that God told you to do? That, that, that you have been locked out so long, even by your family, yeah. locked out by the business partners, locked out by the gatekeepers, locked out by your ethnicity, locked out, whatever the mind game is of why you can't do what you've been called to do. Yeah, that's good. Mark. I want to let you know that the thing that hit me, I've heard that story before, the thing that hit me like it never did, what if you would have not tried the key? Yes. I'd still how, be sitting out there. <laughs> you'd still be sitting out there. <laughs> Trying to break in. But how many people wouldn't have found victory? Yeah. Had you not found victory? The thing everybody has to realize, this ain't even about you. You actually getting rid of the mind games in your life is not about you just having victory. Yeah. It's about all the people that are attached to you having Come victory. On. And so, Pastor Paul, thank you. Thank, thank you for, for at least trying. Because I say it to my church all the time, triumph comes from trying. Yeah. And a lot of people will never see a victory because they stopped trying. Yeah. 
And, and, and you tried to write this book years ago. Yeah. But this was the appointed time for you to start Mind Game. So I'm going to ask, like, I'm going to bring it up a little lighter because yeah. people, I see tears starting to come from the section over there. <laughs> and I see a, a couple, so I'm going to bring it up just a little lighter for a second. How hard was it for you on a scale from one to ten? One being, uh, this, this was a breeze. And ten being, like, I never want to write a book again. How hard was it? hard for you to write mind games because I don't want people to think that because it looks cute now that it was an easy process yeah it's hard you know I actually wrote the first version of this book back in 2014 and it was very uh just like I remember showing it to a couple of people even to Ashley and she was like Keep working on that. Oh, like there's, oh but my. other people were saying that too. She wasn't being mean. She was like, this is good. Yeah. But I think God is still finishing this book. Oh, you were, you were trying to put it out when it was still. And I think that is part of like, part of the mind game is knowing when am I supposed to put something out? When am I supposed to bring something out of the oven? So often we, you know, we stick our cookies in before we've preheated the oven and it messes up the cookies. Come on, you better talk uh, about cookies. <laughs> We're on a fast, I'm bro. On a fast. What is and happening? That cookie, Jesus. I can taste it. Help us. Um, so, you know, I like there were times where I wanted to pull it out of the oven. I wanted to bring the book out. I had a version when I was in 2017. I wrote, started working on it again, and it wasn't until I was really disappointed, honestly, that it wasn't coming out. Um, in 2020 for some reason, this was before COVID. And I remember going into that year and I had written down on my goals every year for 10 years straight, I will write a book, I will release it, it will get published, someday it will be out there in stores. And I had all these goals and every year those goals weren't getting met. And I was feeling more and more like, man, I am failing at this goal. And then 2020 started to play out. And when COVID happened and, and God did something in our church during that season, to minister to our city and to the world. Honestly, that, that God was like, it wasn't time yet. And it wasn't time for this book to be finished because there were chapters that would come from that season, seasons from 2020 through 22, that I didn't know I needed to write about, that I needed to put in this book. And that are later on, they're not in the first chapter, second chapter, they're later on. And anyone who's, people have been texting me saying, bro, I've finished the book. I'm like, how did you finish it in one day? You know um, how they, you remember that old commercial, the speed readers? Yeah, the I'm people, like, they go, what? Zzz, zzz. Those are all liars. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> They're listening on Audible times three. They're like. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, so anyways, the, the long story short is that God had the perfect timing for the book, but the hard work of rewriting, writing. Um, I want to shout out Tom Winters, who's in the room, because Tom has been a big help behind the scenes with me getting this book to the right people and, and out there. And then, you know, you shouted out Ashley. Ashley, she's my first shout out, my number one shout out. She's, she was with me through it all and helped me through the process of getting to where we are. Y'all can do better than that, because... I love you, babe. I know Paul was acting a fool <laughs> when that book didn't come out. But what I heard you say, Paul, is that purpose has a process. Purpose has a process. There was a purpose for this book to start being written all the way back in 2014 or what you did you You can say? have the microwave version or you can have the crock Come pot on, version. Come on, dog. 
But microwave is gonna be cheap. It's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna be less. It's gonna have funny aftertaste. It's gonna have funny aftertaste. Like I literally decided just the other day, I was making soup, and and I was talking to Ashley's dad. I was like, should I do the microwave or should I let it simmer in the crock pot? He's like, well, what kind of soup do you want, Paul? He's like, the microwave can get it done fast. He's like, but if you want it to taste good, put it in the crock pot. Let it simmer. And so I did. But I think that was for me, the book was the process of getting it to this place. And um, I'm very thankful. What would you encourage somebody out there right now that is in the middle of a process and they're about to give up? (sighs) Read the book, Mind Games. (laughs) (laughs) Shameless plug. There's too much to say about that because obviously we can say, don't give up. Things are going to get better. Um, But there are practical tools that that I give in that book for someone who feels like giving up and I honestly will say this a friend Daniel Henshaw over here was one of my close has been one of my closest friends my whole life a friend and a brother my brother John Doherty over there um, when you have someone in your life a Mike Todd that you can open up to and say, man, I am feeling like quitting. I'm feeling like giving up. I'm feeling mentally and emotionally exhausted. A friend, I talk about in the book, the power of community, the power of iron sharpening iron. And I'll just say this, we can listen to good sermons and stir us our, or stir ourselves up, listening to YouTube, listening to Mike, listening to the message I preach going, okay, I'm gonna choose not to give up, but we need someone in our life. We need people in our life. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Your crew determines your view. You need to surround yourself with people who are on the same mission as you, who are going, hey, you got a calling on your life, don't settle. Don't, don't compromise. Don't quit here. Don't throw in the towel. There's more for you. I'm thankful for people in my life that said, Paul, that book is going to come out. Yeah. Don't give up on it. Keep writing. Keep working on it. And we need those people in our life. Yeah. Um, speaking of Mike, I have a whole chapter in the book about you. Hold on. Before you go there, <laughs> before you go there, I need to just read off some of the chapter titles. Okay. Because it actually is one of the most creative parts of this story. Like, I wanted to read the book when you just sent me the chapter titles. Look at it. YouTube, Beethoven, and Finding True Worth. The day we beat Amazon. Just your basic riches to rags to slavery to seduction to prison to the palace to richest story. That's the longest chapter, chapter title I've ever seen, I but, think. But, I mean, it's intriguing. Like, I want to read Moving from the Basement of Depression to the Rooftop of Victory. And then this one got me. Everybody's got a Buzz Lightyear. What is... I mean... I really want to know what that's about. <laughs> okay, so, first off, one of the things that happens... When, when you choose not to give up, when you choose to move forward and press on and and live the life of victory God's called you to live. For me, there were more mind games I had to face, and mind games will, will face the rest of our life, right? So we don't graduate facing mind games. I remember hearing um, Billy Graham talk about in his late 80s, he was facing mind games of loneliness, that he was feeling lonely and discouraged. In the book, I talk about how age doesn't stop mind games. Like, the older we get, we have new different types of mind games with family, grandkids, all of it. So. For me, one of the mind games I faced um, was when Mike and I, we both stepped in pastoring our churches at the same time. 
I stepped in in 2014. About four months later, Mike stepped in pastoring Greenwood in 2015. And then that same next year, he had me come preach for a conference he was doing at his church. I had him come preach on a Wednesday night here. And it was like both of us were in this same season. Um, At the same time, I thought we were. He had just changed the name of his church And they were walking through some setbacks when he changed the name. People that were there for a long time were having a hard time embracing the new name, new thing that he was feeling in his heart to do, changing it from Greenwood to transformation. And at that time, at Victory, it was like we had come out of a hard season. God was lifting things up. We were seeing God continue to build things in the church, the school, the camp, the college, the Dream Center. And you would come over from time to time for a conference or different things, and we would talk But we were both in this same season until I remember seeing something happen. I think it was in the end of 2016, early 2017. But Mike, I went to his Instagram to go and like one of his things and I saw like 3,000 likes. I was like, what? Because he used to have like 200 likes. And I was like, what's happening over here? Then I click on his account and it went to like, it went from like 3,000 followers to like 45,000 followers. And I go, Ashley, Mike, Mike has 40,000 followers. On I was Instagram. buying them. I was buying all the Instagram. And, and, and I, no, 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 listen. Buy so them. I go, what is happening? And then I went to his YouTube channel and he used to have like 120 views and he had like a million views. And I literally, my heart starts racing. I was like, what's going on? The jealousy, the envy, the comparison, because we're the same age. We stepped in the same city, pastoring churches that we were both reaching a lot of young people in our city. Hold on. Is that chapter, this the one I'm in? Yes. So you were Buzz Lightyear, and I was Woody from Toy Story. And so... I haven't got to that chapter in the book yet. If you've ever seen the movie Toy Story, I talk about how I felt like the character Woody on Toy Story. <laughs> this is why we love you. This is... Why we love Paul Doherty. Oh, my God. So, uh, I had no idea. So I talk about how, like, Buzz Lightyear shows up, and, and everybody's loving Buzz. And I'm like, that's not flying. That's falling with style, you know? <laughs> and I'm literally like, what happened to everybody liking Woody over here? And, you know, I was so ridiculous and so, like, stuck in my own comparison trap, my jealousy. And Mike had no clue. Mike would come up and be like, Bro, how you doing? Did you see my sermon at Elevation? I was like, yes. I was like, very cool, man. Very cool. Pound it. You know, and I'm like, I don't want to like his post. I'm like super passive aggressive. And he could feel it. He's not going to say it, but he could feel it. And this went on for a year. I was in these mind games of comparison. And Ashley would be like, Paul, God's doing good things at Victory. God's moving in our church. God's doing great things. And I was like, all I could see was you. And my eyes weren't on my lane. My eyes weren't on my race. My eyes were on another person. And I was in this comparison trap. And so when he, he preached at Elevation, he was like, um, Saul had, had this comparison moment where he heard people singing David Slade, his tens of thousands. And it hit me. And I was like, crud, that's me. I was like, I am, I am falling into this Saul trap. I'm falling into this comparison trap. And I was like, I don't want to end like Saul. I don't want to lose my purpose because I'm distracted by another person's success. I should celebrate Mike, not be threatened. But I was in this mind game. I'm going to be honest. I was in this mind game back and forth. Like I would want to celebrate him 
but then I would get jealous and I would get comparison and I would be like, man, someone would tell me like, hey, I, I'm leaving, I'm going to transformation now, love you. I know you and Mike are friends. I was like, cool. I send them all back. <laughs> but I would I literally, I would like, I would have these moments where my heart, my mind was like, per, like just overwhelmed. This was my mind game that I talk about in chapter six. And something happened for me, you know, there were other preachers too that I would envy, other pastors out there that were like doing amazing things, still are. And I remember looking at their life and their success and their followers on Instagram and their ministry and their influence. And I was like, Why do, what is the ugly monster inside me that's chasing after what they have? And God led me through a crucible that I talk about in there. And um, the crucible was that I had vain ambition that I didn't know was there until I saw someone else doing something. And God was like, you don't want this for the glory of God. You, you want this for the glory of Paul. And God led me to a place of tears at our altar. I literally just laid on our altar. Most of my most impactful moments with God happen when no one's in the room and I'm here on a Thursday night when y'all aren't here and I'm just crying on the altar and God's like, Paul, I can still use you but you're holding yourself back from what I wanna do in you and through you until you surrender. And I had to surrender, I had to be honest. I was like, God, I am so sorry for the ugly, selfish, vain ambition in me because I wanna want do this for the glory of God. I don't want the glory of Paul. I don't wanna do this to beat Mike. I gotta beat me. I gotta beat me, I gotta beat the lazy me, I gotta beat the jealous me, I gotta beat the discouraged me, I gotta beat the, the, the me that doesn't believe in all the promises of God, I gotta beat me. I don't, I'm not in a matchup against Mike or anybody and neither are you. Yeah. Instagram puts us in these matchups with people, invisible matchups and we're like, if I just had what she had, if I had the followers they had, if I had the influence that they had, Listen, you have the key that you need yes, to succeed and to walk in victory. You have it. Beautiful. It took me about 16 months, to be honest. And when I finally got there, Mike, I tell this story, and you might not remember this, but I called you and I said, hey, I got to talk to you. And you were like, uh-oh, what's this about? And I said, can we meet at Metro Diner? And I remember. The end of 2018, the end of 2018, because it was, it was the stretch of 2017 was like things blew up. I remember seeing like they're adding another service. They got six services. And I just, everything was bothered. Everything was messy. Let me tell head. you the other side of it. I didn't want to do none of them services. <laughs> I, kept, I kept on saying, we not adding no another service. And so, again, I want everybody to hear me say this because I'm saying our pastor, because you're pastoring all of us right now. The transparency that you're telling this with is inspiring. Most men of God would never get up on a platform and share like this. And this is why we love you because you're a man after God's own heart. I said this is why we love our pastor because he is a man after God's own heart. No, that's huge. Most people would let you find that out if you got to chapter 6. But you telling that today, man, shows why God trusts you. And, and, and I would just like to say, like. I repented to you, by the way, at Metro Diner. Metro Diner, Paul came to me and he said, I'm sorry. And I'm like, sorry for what? And he began to say all of these sorry things. Sorry for jealousy, man. And 
I'm sorry that I, I compared myself to you so much in that season. And I'm crying because it's so like raw right now. You and I are talking about it to everyone else, but we talked about it obviously a lot since then. It's funny that you didn't know I put it in the book, though. I, I, did, <laughs> I did tell you it was going to go somewhere in the he book. He, like, randomly <laughs> texts me. It's like, hey, man, I put you in the book. A whole chapter, bro? <laughs> Buzz Lightyear and Woody, you could have at least sent me the advanced copy or something. <laughs> but, that's, but you know what? We, we, we sat in Metro Diner, Mike, and I cried, and I was like, bro, I've been jealous. And you were like, I know. And <laughs> you're like, I felt the passive aggressive. I felt the, I felt the vibes from you. And I was like, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry because that's, that's me. Like God's doing a work in me and I want to be a better man. And you are making me better. And you succeeding is a kingdom win for the whole church worldwide. What God has done through Mike Todd has blessed the whole church. Your message, your ministry, your spirit, your heart, you bring all the ships up. You bring everybody up. When I'm around you, I get better. You make other pastors better. You bring healing to marriages and families. And like, Mike, you are a gift to the church. But I couldn't have said that authentically when I was in a comparison trap. And I think God wants some of us in this room to say that to somebody else. Wow. Wow that you have been threatened by and that you have secretly muted. You don't want to see their stories. You don't want to look at their posts because you are in a comparison trap. And I do think that one of the biggest hindrances that stops people from really fulfilling the God call on their life. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. When everyone left John's ministry to go see Jesus, John was like, good, it's about him. It's not about me. And the more we embrace a humility, the more I think, like God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I need grace. I don't know about anybody else. I want grace. I can't get grace if I'm in a trap trying to be better than another person when God's like, you need to be better than you. You need to be better than who you've been yesterday and last year and last week. And so this book is honestly, it's more about like, how do we become who God's called us to be and let it start in the mind? Y'all, I, I sit here holding this book. We're about to go, but I, I am um, I'm honored to be sitting on this stage with you. You know everybody. You, anybody could be up here, but wouldn't it be like God to, to connect us over 12 years ago? I produced uh, Paul's first album with Envoy. <laughs> In my mother's house. That's right. No, that was 15. No, we're, we're, I'm 38. Yeah. That how, was, yeah. How old that you? was when we were. <laughs> you're 37, 38. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Hey, that's listen. True. Hey, that was 17 years 17 ago. 17 years ago, God put us in each other's lives when neither one of us were doing full-time ministry. And we became brothers in my bedroom with no bed in it. I had a cot because my room was too small to have a bed and actually have a couch for the people to come sit in. I turned my room into a studio. It was amazing. And we recorded that album and God connected us. Seven to eight years later, we both become pastors within six months of each other. We would, we would have to go through seasons of sharpening each other. Yes. To then actually sit here 17 years later and celebrate mm. 
the triumph and the victory. Y'all can do better than that. This is beautiful. Love you. Listen, um, I really feel like you said something there, that there are a lot of people in this room that it's time to surrender the things that have had you in mind games. And tonight, there, there may have been something that like sparked up in you and was like, oh yeah, like they're, they're struggling with that. But if you would just take a moment and reflect. Ashley said something earlier. She said, you'll never be able to understand the sovereignty of God if you don't embrace the silence. And some of us are so busy doing so many things that we haven't sat with ourselves long enough to be like, you know what, I actually don't like my own sister. Mm. Mm. I actually come in after praise and worship because I don't like that worship leader up there. Mm. I took my kids out of victory because I didn't like the way, come on y'all. There may be real things that are hindering you and the truth of the matter is going around it is not gonna actually get you to purpose. Yeah. The Bible says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the biggest part of that, people fall, um, focus on the walking and they fo focus on the valley, but the word that you need to focus in is through. Yeah, that's so good, Mike. It's never a place that's supposed to be a destination unless you make it that. And some of us need to go through these mind games. Yeah. Not around them, and this book is a resource for you. This is for young people. This is for seasoned people. You see, I didn't say old people, but you old. This is, this is for hurting people, and this is for people who have seen tons of victories. Yeah. Because nobody talks about the mind game of success mm. and trying to stay on top after you've gotten to a mountaintop. You said something to me one time, and I have a chapter on trauma. You said success is trauma. Su success is major tra trauma because now everybody expects you to hit 40 points every time you go on the court. What I'm saying to you is if we don't deal with this, if we don't get the counseling, if we're not with people that are believers in a small group, if we're not getting a, um, um, cut on, if, if we're not having any friction to our faith, we will never be as sharp as God wants us to be. And just think about it. Yeah. Paul, me and you are better together. Yes, we are. Who? For the rest is, of our life. For the rest of our lives. Till the wheels fall off. And then we gonna push it after that. Come on. <laughs> like, but your pastor says it all the time. A divided world needs a what? Are you disconnected from a brother or sister in Christ? Mm. Because of a mind game. Are you disconnected from your husband or wife? Because of a mind game. Are you disconnected from your children? Yeah. Well, they're a TikTok generation. And when I was a kid, hold on, stop. But maybe there's something that God wants to heal and mend. And I just believe, Paul, this, we can't have a conversation because the truth of the matter, this book is about, I'm going to say a churchy word right now, but, but this is what it is. It's a secret deliverance book. It's deliverance in disguise. When I started reading this book, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm actually going to find hope and get healed. And if you want that in your life, you don't need to just get this book, you need to give it to people too. Because some of the people that you having issues with, before you talk to them, you just need to drop this off at their house. 
But I, I just feel like we got to end this night praying for people yeah. that actually are in the middle of a mind game. Yeah. And this visits everybody, every ethnicity, every background, every socioeconomic class. It doesn't matter if you make $2 million a year or it doesn't matter if you're on government assistance. There's something that's happening in your mind right now that needs to come under the authority of Jesus Christ. And we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So, Paul, I don't know what you want the altar call to be, but I just feel so strongly, man, that this altar needs to be filled with people who are drawing a line in the sand tonight. Yeah. And saying that this is the last night that I'm going to let this mind game go unchecked. Yeah. I'm going to name you. I'm going to say it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to somebody. I'm going to read this book. I'm going to make some type of step. To start dealing with this mind game. Pastor Paul, what are, you, what are you hearing and feeling? Well, I just feel like what you said is so true. And I want to pray for people. You know, we were talking about this, that Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee to heal one man's mind. And when he got to that, that other side of the sea, the man was tormented to the point where his thoughts and his internal world had taken over his external world. And who we are on the inside becomes who we are on the outside. So I want to pray for healing in the mind, victory in the mind. I want to pray. I want Mike to pray with me. And I think we should stand to our feet. We're going to end with just a worship song. And we're going to pray. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes all over this place? Lord, I just pray right now for every man, every woman, every young guy, young girl in the room today, Lord, that's battled mind games. Lord, every person who's battled the mind game of insecurity, just feeling unworthy, feeling inadequate, constantly questioning where they stand in the opinions or approvals of man. Lord, that tonight that mind game would be broken. Lord, I pray for those that have had the mind game of just doubt in you, doubt in your word, doubt in your promises, doubt that you can do the impossible because of disappointment. I pray for those that have given up on dreams, given up on prayers they used to pray, that tonight, Lord, you would begin to fan into flame, Lord, this, that gift that was put inside them a long time ago. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So Lord, I pray tonight for every person that needs soundness in their mind, every person that's battling anxiety, just racing thoughts, overanalyzing every conversation, overanalyzing every interaction, constantly overthinking, drawing thought bubbles over other people. Lord, I bind every mind game that's been holding people captive keeping them from sleeping at night, keeping them in a state of insomnia. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that tonight, mind games that have been holding people into places of captivity, of fear and shame, and Lord, a place of depression, a place where someone hasn't wanted to get out of bed. They haven't wanted to keep moving. They haven't wanted to keep going. They've been suicidal. They've been questioning if life is still worth living. That tonight, Lord, something is shifting in this room. Something is shifting online. Someone who's watching this online, on TV, in Jesus' name, we just speak to every mind. We speak the name of Jesus. 
If you're here tonight and you just want God to have victory over your mind, I want you to leave your seat. Come and find a place at this altar. If you want that just tonight, you want something to shift in your mind. You want something to shift towards victory. You need God to break some things. You need God to launch some things. You need God to untangle some webs like Ashley was saying earlier, declutter some areas where things have stacked up in your mind. Tonight, just bring your mind to the altar. Say, God, I surrender every mind game of jealousy, of comparison, of, of feeling like I'm not good enough compared to this person. That tonight, Lord, we would begin to renew our minds on who we are in Christ. You are a child of God. You are adopted into his family. You are loved by God. You are valued by God. You are seen by God. You are known by God. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he still chooses you. He still loves you every single day. His mercies are new every morning. As you come down to this altar, just close your eyes, lift your hands. Our band, why don't we just sing that worship song over every mind, every heart tonight. Every strong 
everywhere. I just hear this. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. This is where the mind game stops. Cause I am a child of God. Come on, with all the faith. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Why? No music one time, just say, I'm no, no longer. Sounds so beautiful. Believe it. I am a child of God. Just one more time. I'm no longer a slave to fear. No more mind games. Why? Because I am a child. If you believe that Jesus is the Lord of your mind, would you give him one huge shout of praise? Oh, come on, victory. Oh, come on.